What is up, everyone? This is Homie and the Dude, the Father and Son Podcast and Tabletop Gaming Network. And we are here today and so pleased to be joined by Jess Pendley, a best-selling writer and game designer and one half of the powerhouse team behind the awesome third-party D&D 5e Supplement Creator, the Underground Oracle. <laughs> um, the crowd goes crazy. <laughs> Jess, welcome to the show. Thank you. That was a hell of an intro. I like that. I need you to be my hype man his, like every day. <laughs> that was his best one ever. Holy <laughs> shit. I've never lot, seen yeah. him muster that much energy. That was incredible. Wow. I might set that as my alarm so when I get up every morning, I'm just hearing <laughs> you talking me up and get me out of bed. We'll, we'll send you a clip. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll, we'll trim it out. Um, so, Jess, obviously, you know, you make incredible things for us creators uh, to use and, uh, and to, to assist us. Talk, talk to us about how you found your love for the tabletop gaming community. Where, 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 where was that young? Was that something you found later in life? How did that come about to you? Way before I knew about Dungeons and Dragons, I was super, I mean, my younger siblings and I were nerds and we were very poor. And so we had very limited resources of what we could do. Mm-hmm. So like we had like board games and things. And once you've only you've played like these board games, you know, a million times, you're not getting any new ones. So we would like flip the board game over and like create our own new board games that could use those pieces and stuff. So we started doing that from a super young age and probably to a point that it was, you know, I wouldn't have wanted anybody at school to know that I was still doing that kind of thing. (laughs) So I loved creating for that. And then like my family got super into HeroQuest when I was probably like 12 or 13. Like my mom got HeroQuest and like all these little expansions that have like each little individual characters and stuff. And we kind of all played that as a family and it was like very close to Dungeons and Dragons. Like I could feel that magic right there, but it didn't capture it completely. Um, and then I uh, started going to this gaming store. And that's where I met Keith, actually. Mm-hmm. And he had been creating, you know, a, a, an entire role-playing world and stuff for Dungeons & Dragons and, like, a sci-fi universe, everything, forever. So I started playing in third edition, and I just absolutely fell in love. It was, like, everything that I had been, you know, kind of mimicking myself, you know, in my backyard as a kid. I was able to do this at a table with other adult people without any sort of you know (laughs) no name calling or anything which was nice yeah (laughs) but yeah so it developed there like i'd say like i found my like i found my real love for it in 3.5 like that to me it has its flaws definitely but that's like everyone's got their version of dnd that's my version of dnd is 3.5 so that (laughs) that is where i where i get my roots right there thanks for watching this episode we really appreciate you supporting homie and the dude Please hit us with the Holy Trinity, like our Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and follow us on Instagram. Just search at Homie and the Dude. It all really helps. Amazing. And you know, I was going to ask, obviously, you know, you now create these incredible supplements for 5e because it's obviously the most current version uh, that's out. But what was like going from third edition, you're like, this is my edition. What was the biggest jump for you? What was the biggest thing that you had to learn and adjust to moving from third to fifth? Well, Keith and I actually, we considered when we were first, because the, the world that we've created together, um, because right now the way that we set up Underground Oracle, it's so that we can release supplements in a way that they will appeal to anyone if they want to play in their own home world or in their own, or in a, a preset campaign setting, you know, 
but it's it's still ambiguous enough that you know they can put it anywhere they want and we try to put our flavor in it and we've we've been adding in our own lore and things like that that are important to us that we know how it ties directly into our own setting um, but we haven't put that out exactly yet but um the the biggest jump for us would be the micromanaging like 3.5 had a lot of micromanaging and when we first just yeah. started designing we were going toward pathfinder instead of fifth edition actually mm. But then Pathfinder dropped its second edition, like halfway through us, you know, getting a lot of stuff concrete on our end. And we looked at it and we were like, you know, we, did, we, we didn't vibe with it as well. So we're like, let's mm. get the edition. Everybody loves it. You know, Critical Role is making it pop. Um, and we've heard that it, it, it was like huge. Like it was really weird to go from like only hearing about Dungeons and Dragons in, you know, our gaming, our personal small town gaming scene to like, seeing people here and there wearing shirts and stuff referencing it and things like that was like a huge deal they're like what the hell that's amazing um and then we got the books and it was the, the amazing thing about the edition is because there's not all that micromanaging you can just jump in and start playing it fairly quickly or you can jump in and start yeah. running it fairly quickly like i remember when i was learning third it took a commitment to learn third edition and <laughs> i really was never comfortable running it honestly um, but fifth edition, you know, it's amazing. It's uh, the 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 walls have been kind of broken down a lot as far as like the the I don't know the technical due diligence that you would have to do in order to be able to run a game. So it's super welcoming to new players. And then we got online, and the community was just amazing. I mean, yeah. you can on, on on Twitter you can find you know any sort of you know fires that you want to. But the the TTRBG community, I think, the D and D community, especially as a whole, I think has been super welcoming and wonderful. So they really seeing that was super inspiring as we were doing our research to decide whether we wanted to kind of put ourselves here or not. You know, and so it really helped us acclimate a lot better to you know the transition between third and fifth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. So give us a the, the timeline under that as well. That that sort of let's see if this is the space for us. How long ago was that when you were just determining? We are going, we're going on our second year in September of actually publishing stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So um, before we published our first materials, we had been writing things forever um, and learning the system. And um, I think we took probably a year um, prior to that to just kind of feel out the community, fill out the system, you know, do a, a lot of research not just with you know what other third parties and things we're releasing right now, but also like how receptive because I had been poking around Reddit prior to that, and I personally Reddit's not the community for me. I know a lot of people find their place there, you know, but for indie D and D creators, it wasn't always super welcoming from what I you know as a fly on the wall. Um, but when I Went to the Twitter community. I saw that it was it was actually a pretty cool little ecosystem that people had mm. carved out for themselves. Um, very supportive. Uh, creators didn't mind, you know, interacting with one another, sharing with one another. Um, so, you know, I showed it to Keith. You know, we we observed for a while, and we're like, yeah, this is this is definitely the place for us. So, probably a year of just kind of like scouting out and doing some reconnaissance before actually publishing our stuff. <laughs> Amazing. Well, do you enjoy? It's like you were doing market research. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. And it was it was more like we're we're both very creative people, but um, we also knew like we're very creative people. We want to get our steps out there, but we also want to be a part of a community. And we knew that if we were gonna if we weren't able to find that foothold there, it's why why share your you know what you're putting your heart and soul into 
with people who are, you know, basically spitting venom every day. So we were very heartened by what we saw. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it definitely comes across in, you know, you're, you're instantly from what, what you're saying, your attention to detail is, is evident. And, and furthermore, it comes across in your supplements. You know, the stuff that you guys make are so beautifully detailed in both your art and in your lore and furthermore within your stat blocks that you make the you know bios for npcs or you know plot hooks and stuff that you guys put into these supplements are so detailed and um i wanted to know like obviously we know that keith does a lot of like the the, the main like you know he, he's you, you you said you before keith is like the the concept creator kind of thing yeah who, who, who drives it all and so how, how do you find like these intricate details and what how do you get like to choose what goes in the supplement because obviously i imagine you guys have pages and pages and pages oh, to yeah. draw from what are you, how what's your refining process do you like do you really have to like be like oh we've got to get rid of that one and we don't want yes, to but we've got to it's so painful and it's it's aware like as a as a creative duo, that's where like the one little bit of contention really comes in because mm. Keith would release a like 400 page supplement every month would be good. <laughs> like every details in there, you know, he, he just has that. He's, and so I have to go in and I have to say, okay, you're giving, you, you, there's this amazing amount, this wealth of lore and stuff. What can we mm. afford to trim out and still get everything that we want across? Still make sure mm. that, you know, it feels like an underground Oracle supplement but you know if, if you're playing in you know any of the forgotten realms or anywhere you can still utilize it if you need to um and i think that's i think we do that well um but it is difficult and, and it, it there's always so much more that we push to the side and we have i mean there it, it's good because we we developed with the concept that we like to call like the lore web so everything is connected everything is so Okay. whether you've seen it yet or not there's there's little threads that are tying everything together from like the mm -hmm. different archetypes that we have to the locations to like the downtown destinations they all have something that's linking them to a greater part of the world so mm -hmm. even when we have to carve that stuff out it's always going back in a little file so we can pepper it in somewhere else <laughs> okay yeah and so you, you mentioned that within the lore of the supplements it's you're, you're, you're sort of like navigating a fine line of really personalizing it to your setting but also making it as accessible for people to use in other in other um, settings or other campaigns or whatever um, how 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 are you doing with that navigating is it because we're, we're, we're kind of trying to do the same thing we're doing the same thing we've got we're doing it sort of starting out with npcs that support a setting that we're creating and you know we got to strip out for the for the really detailed part of the lore. We find that we're stripping that out so that some anyone else can put in. You mm -hmm. know, if we're talking about pirates, for example, we're not talking about you know the the next layer of pirates because that yeah. might not be part of the story. So how how are you managing that? Well, so the the key is to find the this is the way that we approach it anyway. Everybody develops different, so I'll I'll give you what we do and then you can you know take it with a grain of salt. But yeah. like yeah. for something like so Mama Verdosa's bathhouse, um, mm -hmm. that is a yeah. downtime destination that we recently did. Um, yeah. We know. Awesome, awesome, by the way. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> we love it. So sick. So sick. Oh, <laughs> I really appreciate that. It's cool to hear that. That was that was one of Keith's babies, and it has a, a massive presence in, in our world. It's popped up multiple times through our campaigns. So what we do is we go, okay, 
with this specific downtime destination, if we were introducing game one, this location to players who knew nothing else about our world, how can we get the heart and soul of this singular location across to them? Because they have no knowledge of what's going on in Quasiloth at that moment at all. They don't, they know this location and that's what they're going to know when they leave. So we approach it like it is its own tiny little setting. So you get, you know, you have to make sure the NPCs are the real people. And later when they're walking around the world and they meet them, they still, they still feel that, but you know, it's, if it's, they're walking around our world or their world, they're the same people. So it's just approaching it without having to have any of that back knowledge, any of that, you know, that, that we know by heart, but that a brand new player game one is not going to know. They only know Mama Berdosa's bathhouse. So that's, that's how we do the main trimming. And then we always try to put in like little, you know, Easter eggs or things or whatever we can do to like people who have been with us from the beginning might have a greater knowledge of what's currently out there than people who signed up last week. So we try to do that, but the, 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 the main of it is just to, to find that, that kernel, that, 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 that heart of the location or of the NPC or anything that we know that this, this is who this is, what this is, and now mm. you can put it wherever you need it to go. Amazing. And do you know what, it, like, <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. We, we were looking at the bathhouse and we have a bathhouse in our world, amazingly. And, <laughs> and I was like, God damn, this is incredible. I was looking at what you guys have done and like, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm definitely going to use pieces of it for, for what we're awesome. doing to flesh out some of it because it's so beautiful what you guys have done. And like, like you said, you can feel like a lot of the energy and like, I love the fact that you even have like the, the treatments that you can get so here cool. and like, you know, the, it's, it just makes it like come to life and it allows for more than the beautiful thing is you also have a bunch of plot hooks and gossip that can go in here and stuff. And it means that it can both be a downtime recreation of like, there's a bathhouse in the city and we just went to battle. Like, let's go like clean off and have like a spritz, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, or it can be this place that carries a lot of the plot. It carries some of yeah. the, even, even the main arc maybe. And, you know, I think that's what's really beautiful about what you guys are writing. What, what I wanted to ask you is obviously from all these, like from you stripping things out and whatnot, I can imagine that takes time. And something that we found when we're creating our NPCs is it requires, you know, a, a, a bit of time for us to sit down and flesh it out and think about it and really think about the wording of how we want to present it because it does come across differently when you, you know, word things in certain ways and, you know, really think about the, the, the language you're presenting to people. How is it for you guys from concept to release? Can you like give us like a like step-by-step -step kind of overview of like your like Jacob's ladder to, 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 to publishing basically? For things like uh, NPCs, locations, things like that, it's a little bit more uh, loose simply mm -hmm. because um, a, a lot of these things that people are seeing now have been in existence or have been in development as far as their story things like that for over a decade so yeah. those wow. you know they it's they've been a long time waiting in the wings before they made an appearance you know in our in our publications um and then sometimes we'll come up with a well not sometimes all the time we're coming up with new concepts we're like oh this would be neat or this would be a great person to run into or keith might put in an npc in one of our home games and i'm like this is an amazing individual and they need to be a part of our world now um mm. <laughs> so if it's if it's something like that, um, then it, it typically between 
well, some concept going through play tests, going through like that. Uh, if it's not something that's heavily mechanical, then it's probably three or four months from like when it's been thought up to when it would get released. Um, the things that take a little more playtesting and things like archetypes and what have you, those are four or five months, I would say, before they end up hitting the, the actual publication. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's probably our process, but to be quite honest, it's such a, a, it all, it's all such a whirlwind all the time. And it's hard to nail that exact like timeline (laughs) down because again, it's just like, it, that is the good thing about living in the middle of like we live in the middle of the woods with just like, <laughs> me keith and our dogs and so it's just like 24 7 it's like oh wouldn't this be cool or is it you know it's it's just a constant yeah. like creative atmosphere it's really great so amazing for concepts but not super great for timelines and uh, i have to do a lot of shifting of the editorial calendar if like we get too excited about something i have to be like okay so now instead of this coming out now we're gonna have to move things around and this is gonna come out instead <laughs> mm. Nice. Very cool. And um, I mean, the, the thing that was very noticeable almost immediately is how prolific, you know, how much content that you guys are producing. And I guess it kind of makes sense to me. So maybe I, I think I heard that you have almost like a backlog of content that's already been produced. And now you're just sort of shaping it in a way that it's now it's time to release it. Because in my mind, I was thinking, how are they doing this? Like, I, I, there's not enough hours in the day for a two-person team to be rolling out this much content on a regular basis. But it sounds like, like two things. One is you're, you know, it is a big part of your lives. But the second is you do have a bit of a library that you're pulling from. We're super lucky that we have that because, at least in, in my mind, the biggest part of it is the conceptualizing and the, the making things feel solid and real, which that's mm. all story. Uh, mechanics can be built around that and it, the we take very much a lore first approach to design so if we have a mechanic that we introduce it is because it supports the story that we're trying to tell with that option whether it's a player option or a a, a creature or a location anything um and some people are super into that some people are not so into that that's fine you know people find what they want for their own gaming tables but um oh i just forgot your question completely i'm sorry <laughs> No, no, no. It's okay. It's um, the, oh, the, how, the yeah because of how what we produce. Sorry. Um, also, we so we have that breadth of the, the lore and everything, which is super great to work from. We also have like no lives pretty much outside of doing this. I mean, I talk to people online. We're here in the woods. I have a a full time day job, and then after that, you know, evenings are Underground Oracle, and Keith works full time Underground Oracle. So. There's a lot of hours involved still because we are, you know, pressing to try to get this out there to people um, and to make this, you know, one day, of course, like most people, we'd like this to be our sole focus, you know, so we could yeah. devote all of our time to this. But um, the the backlog, the years of work that we've already put into it definitely go a very, very long way because then it's just doing, you know, mechanics, playtesting, things like that, ironing out little wrinkles, trying to make sure that we are appealing to um, whatever is currently you know in vogue i suppose would be the thing like sometimes it's like oh we we know that dungeons and dragons is releasing uh fay book in the next coming months or whatever so let's you know see what we have to offer that's going to kill people who are looking at these things or what most creators do but that that backlog that that world that we have behind us is definitely helpful yeah do you know what it's really interesting the the, the kind of the 
I mean, I, I just appreciate the way that you guys are going about this and, and the level of work you're kind of putting into it. Uh, I want to ask, you mentioned playtesting, obviously. You know, for, for, for those versed in, you know, supplement creation and things like that, playtesting is a common term. Can, can you explain for those who listen to this who maybe aren't so versed in playtesting what that means to you guys? How do you guys playtest your stuff and what, what does that look like for you guys? For us, we have, a, we have a personal game group that we've had at home, which we run options through. Um, and then a couple members of that group have their own gaming tables that we allow them to play test and stuff as well. Uh, we have a couple of friends in the community that we also allow to play test, but we don't, we don't open up for wide play tests or anything yet, just because we honestly don't have the size to like support that as of now. Yeah. But um, the play testing is just to make sure that things feel balanced, that people aren't running up against consistent problems, um, that, you know, we don't come from a background of like when Keith and I at our gaming table when we play it's to it's to tell a story that's what we use D&D &D for and I know there's a lot of back and forth in the community as to you know what can and can't D&D &D do or you know different things like that or is playtest even necessary and so but we we design everything to be able to tell a story with it so we're not super into breaking characters the way that some people in the community are or you yeah. know combining options and these like I, i've seen people do things and i'm like oh my gosh that's ludicrous and i never would have thought to do that in a million years and now you know a million damage which is super awesome but you know it's, it's not my style of gaming so we have to make sure that we get that out there so that people can look at those things and go oh i can do a bajillion damage with this you know in turn two or whatever so maybe you ought to clean this up a little bit and so that's basically what we use playtesting for more than anything else is just to make sure that we're people can put this at their gaming table and feel confident that it's not going to disrupt their game for the most part. Mm -hmm. So amazing for both, I, I assume for GMs and players alike, yes. you know, it's yeah. Yeah, across, across the board. And you know, it, it's, it's important that you do that. Do you have like, um, do you have specific, uh, like things that you, you require? Like, I know some people do play testing at certain levels and things like that. Do you guys do it like level based and things like that for like, uh, for subclasses and things? Um, or is it, uh, or is it something that you, uh, you're, it's more free form. You just want to see if it works within a running game. It's definitely been more free form for us again, because it's, it's just Keith and I. So, um, mm -hmm. we have plans to do Kickstarters, things like that in the future. Well, we're, we're going to be open up for wider playtesting for certain options and things. Um, mm -hmm. something like a class obviously needs much more playtesting than like an archetype does or yep. then, you know, a group of spells or feats does. So it really depends on what the material is. Um, but as for us personally, it's much more freeform, much more organic. Um, and we also yeah. take feedback from people on our discord. When something comes out from us, if we need to add a rata or if we need to make an update or something, you know, we, mm -hmm. once a quarter, we try to look over everything. We look over comments from people and then we'll add those updates. Uh, a yeah. good example of that is like, uh, one of our very early art types, the field medic went through, um, after people in the shard community had tested it for a while, I went through and I changed a couple of the features um and it got like a, a little makeover so we've, we've been doing that as well um to mm -hmm. just take that feedback so that people super important i i feel like especially small creators to to be very grateful to the community that you're a part of and that's supporting you and to give them the opportunity to give you that feedback if they have it rather mm -hmm. than just kind of brush it off like you can typically tell when someone's actually being a dick or when someone has like a legitimate, <laughs> a legitimate yeah, yeah. issue so if it's legitimate, we definitely take it in and we go, okay, you know, is this something that we do need to change? Um, mm. And then if it is, then we, we change it. If not, then we'll explain why we're not changing it or why we don't feel like it's necessary for us to change it. Yeah. And just, just to confirm, Jess, all of the supplements that you're creating right now, 
or complementary to the, the 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 settlement that you're the setting. That, sorry, the setting that you're creating. Is that correct? Or are there some are there some things that you're creating that, like you said, um, that are more timely for other things going on that might be just a standalone thing? Hey, let's get that out there. So just give us a, an idea of sort of proportionally how much of the content that you're creating right now is to support the setting. Um, I would say that. 90% of what we've created so far, definitely we go, okay, this is where this belongs in our personal setting. We know that, you know, when our setting comes out, how we'll reference it, things like that. Uh, we have definitely released supplements that we thought were a fun idea that we may not have in our setting personally, but we know that other people would appreciate it or other people would mm, okay. really be into it. Um, the examples that spring to mind immediately are the <laughs> our Awakened Familiar supplement we made and we made it as kind of like a fun thing. We did not expect it to be as popular as it was at all. And if you would have asked us, you know, two years ago, hey, do you guys want to have awakened supplements in your setting? I would have said absolutely not. But now I've seen so many people do so many cool things with it. And people have been so like into it um, that we will we'll definitely find a place in our world, even if it is a small one for, you know, instances of awakens, you know, awakened familiars that have done things out in the world or whatever. So that's a, we're tying that in, but it wasn't initially created for that purpose whatsoever. Or even like the field medic, actually, the field medic was uh, our first popular archetype. And mm. we really didn't have um, a place for that in our world, um, because we do have magical healing in our world and things. Um, but it, it got, uh, we had, it was one of our early releases that got a little bit of heat on it. And we have met some great friends through it. And, you know, now, definitely, the film medic will have a place in our world somewhere, but it was not initially created for that purpose. So mm. I would say 90% of what we make is strictly, like we know, it's it's already a part of Quasloff, and it's coming out to give you guys kind of a preview of it. But um, yeah, that other 10%, it's just because we think it's a rad idea, or someone else has mentioned it, and we're like, oh, that would be amazing to create, so. Do you know what? It's, it's pretty obvious that you guys are like drawing on all this stuff and you're, you're, you're using these things and, it, you know, things that make that kind of obvious. And I, I was saying to Tom, well, while we're reading your stuff, I was like, there, I, I was reading, I was like, there's got to be a world here. I was like, there's, I, mi I was like, I'm reading all this. I'm like, I'm missing a beat somewhere. I was like, there's, <laughs> there, there's, I was like, there's got to be, because the thing that really was getting me that I was loving was your quotes. The quotes are something that really, really get me. And I think that really adds something. I love that you have these uh, comments from characters that are like uh, commenting on things that you guys are happening in the supplement, whether it be, you know, a quote from the, the lady who owns the bathhouse or, you know, there's, you know, um, this part about this, you know, uh, this NPC that you guys create. It's really beautiful and it adds something to it that I think you know, uh, interestingly, I thought uh, talking about like wizards, uh, they they when they released Tasha's and they wrote it in the style of it being like her, like addressing the players a bit more. It yeah. felt a little bit more organic than you know some of their other content books, which have felt a lot more like kind of like here's information for you as opposed to like you know this is a, a nice smooth delivery of like what what is coming out. So I think the fact that you guys are adding all this detail and stuff is incredible and massively appreciate something that you've done a lot throughout this conversation is mentioned story we've talked about how for you story is important how for your world for you know when you're creating things when it comes to even your approach of writing lore is story you're working with story and i want to ask you you've talked about quasloff can you paint us a like word picture can you give us a bit of a story give us a bit of an insight into what quasloff 
is is maybe going to entail going to look like uh, any sort of teaser that you can obviously we don't want you to you know uh, to to give us all the spoilers because yeah. we would love to play it or not but but please like give give us an insight into what this amazing world that we have seen these supplements coming out of kind of looks like and means to you well for, first of all thank you so much for all those kind words that was amazing and keith and i are going to feast on that for quite a while <laughs> <laughs> great to hear that um i i think my favorite part about Quasaloth is that it is, it's, it's a world right as Renaissance. Um, so there's not this, like, there, there's not a, that, and it, Keith and I talked about this a lot. And that's what I, I, we're like, we want to make sure this gets across to people is that it is not a setting that has like, it's not in the shadow of a great war. It's not in the, it's not, you know, in the ruins of a collapsed empire. It's not, you know, it's, it's at its peak and there's so much possibility ahead of it. And um, so you play these characters in this world where, you know, all these amazing discoveries are happening and these new magics are appearing. And, you know, yes, there are evil kingdoms and there are evil people working behind the scenes, but there are just as many good people doing good things and discovering all these miraculous, you know, things that you can bring into your campaign and it's that that spirit i think that we've been trying to capture and that just resonates through the entire continent of quasaloth um even in the darker areas it's still there there's still that that little glimmer of hope that possibility because you we our goal was when we were really shaping this world was we want people to be able to play any sort of tone of campaign you know that they want to run in this world um there's a place in quasaloth if you want to run you know, a, a Victorian feeling horror theme, you know, campaign. There's places for that. There's places if you want to run like a, a city of guilds where, you know, you're, you're scrapping around to try to get your people on top and it's very political and there's a lot of, you know, espionage and things like that. There's locations for all of this. Um, for every style of campaign that you can think of, you could run in Quasar. There's an area for it. Um, and, but throughout it all, even in, the, in the, even in the darkest areas, even in the like, the, the evilest place that you can go, there's still that like that little golden string that I think runs through everything where you're like, yes, things are getting dark, things are getting terrible, but you know we're the heroes and we're gonna make this happen somehow. And you know mm -hmm. we may we may die because you know life is not guaranteed, but our, our death won't be in vain. And so we want that to be in everything. And that's what excites us personally as role players and as storytellers. And so we're trying to get that across to people. I just love it. I, I so love. You can feel the passion. Yeah, but, uh, but also, <laughs> I just love that because, you know, what you described as, you know, sort of uh, stereotypical settings um, that, you know, that serve a real purpose and that have a real engine behind them. You've gone and you allow for that, you know, almost like a smaller engine to, to be able to fulfill those objectives within a, a larger setting that's a lot more open to possibility. I just love, you know, the... The it, I don't know I don't know if it's if it's pertinent, but it, what just came to mind to me, especially in today's you know kind of climate, right? To have a setting of hope and uh, and positive and 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 the the possibilities that are you know so grand and so open to people. That's really cool. I think the other thing that came to mind for me is how big is like? Can you give us a picture of? You yeah, know, this how, is, how many settlements? How many cities? Like, what, 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 what are we talking like across the across the, <laughs> across the map? Are you guys? Is is it like? Is, is it massive? Like, what what is the expansive size of this continent? Quasaloth is a continent with many countries and many areas to explore. Um, and 
we've been refining it over the past few years to be like, okay, do we, are there areas that we're like, because we, we don't want to deliver anything where people are like, oh, I don't want to go to that place. It's it, why it's boring. It's useless. It's a blank page mm -hmm. on a map. So um, we've been trying to, but honestly, we're so deeply in love with like literally every inch of the place off at this point that it's, it's probably all going to go out there. Uh, and I'm looking at the map of it right now and it's, it's pretty big. We'll say it's the size of the United States. <laughs> okay. Wow. 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 Amazing. Yeah. And there are wild and places to explore or there's places that it's like, oh, you shouldn't go there because, you know, here there'll be monsters or whatever. But it's for the most part, it's, it's various cultures and peoples and cities and, you know, they all bring their own unique, you know, flavor. To the, it's just like the world that we live in currently, you know, it's everyone's adding something and that's the way that we design Quasar Law. Yeah. It's a great analogy with the States because, you know, when you said there's places that are a little less Culture. I was thinking like the Florida Everglades. There's like there's this that place that's like not civilized, and there's probably yeah. entities in there that don't even know who the you know who the one of the leaders is or that that type of thing. Yeah. And then you know you have kind of like the Midwest that's a little bit you know in in its own flavor and big cities and within those big cities different types of uh, of their own cultural you know pattern or, or fingerprints as well. So it sounds it sounds super cool, super cool. It is. It's it's huge. And honestly, if we didn't control ourselves, it would be just ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> we have well, cities that could definitely warrant their own giant campaign books themselves. So but we'll we'll rein it in and keep it we'll keep it tight for people. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean like that's I mean that's the beauty with when you have something that's so like uh, like open in of that and that's the thing with the setting is you can give someone a setting and they can create their own you know story and then for you guys you know you can then drip feed plot for different yeah. locations you know and and have like actual like one shots or full you know adventures for you know however many levels you guys want to throw it out there but do you know what's interesting so so we, we're we are very much at the inception we're maybe like it were you when you met Keith in that gaming store. <laughs> that's, that's where we are. And do you know what, I'll tell you what's interesting is like we've, we've been running games and creating stuff in the D&D world for about six months or so. And the amount I've just learned from this conversation is fucking stupid, excuse my French. <laughs> like I can't, I can't. And I, I, can't I curse like you. constantly, so it's actually a relief to hear you cuss because I do it. <laughs> So much that I like, I've kind of been reining myself in a little bit. So, oh, <laughs> oh, feel free. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say this is an open space. I, I, I often like try and manage myself, especially with American guests. Some yeah. definitely don't. It doesn't fly with some American people. Uh, where our British guests typically will come on and be like, "Oh, you knob," and like <laughs> we'll talk shit and stuff. It's, it's a little bit different. So, um, but no, like. I just appreciate what you're saying and like as someone who is new within the industry and, and working on writing and trying to develop my style and stuff, I appreciate, you know, what you guys are doing and, you know, the, the way that you look at things is really refreshing and beautiful. And like Tom said, you know, you're not hitting some of the classic fantasy tropes, you know, and that's something that I think a lot of people when they get into this fall into in, in the inceptual years of their like career, they fall into those things because it's like, oh, what, what's safe, what's comfortable, you know, kind of thing. And then when you start reaching out into your like outer creative reaches is I think when you, you really get some, some clarity and no, like, honestly, uh, I can't wait to meet Keith. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think you, you know, you, you guys have really captured something incredible here and, you know, 
something I wanted to ask you about, obviously, is, you know, the writing is a huge part of this. And I know you've mentioned this before, that art means a lot to you and that the art in your world and in your supplements and, you know, I assume for when you release your setting will be massive. Um, what, like, how, what's your process with choosing like your artists and how, how do you choose when you're making a supplement that type of art? What, like, is it purely off of the concept in your guy's mind or do you look at like styles and go, I think that fits with this supplement, so on and so forth. So Keith is the, the art director. Um, and when we were doing our, our year of reconnaissance in the community stuff, that's also when we were looking for artists and things who uh, we could work with, who we could afford, who we could um, collaborate with, um, mm -hmm. because the, the way the approach that Keith takes for the directing art is incredibly collaborative, um, because mm -hmm. things have to feel like our world to us. Um, so when he is, you know, in, in, when we're describing a character or something, we want to make sure that, you know, th this feels like them, basically. So we, we were very, very fortunate to have some incredible artists that we work with consistently. Um, and I recommend them to absolutely everybody that I come in contact with because they're, mm. they're amazing to work with. And I, I think they're incredibly talented. Um, and we receive mm. a lot of compliments for our art. So I think that also shows. Um, but yeah, the process that Keith goes through, that he goes through with them is, is a lot of back and forth like sitting in the room um, just to make sure that, you know, every little detail is there. You know, we always apologized up front at the beginning because it's like, I know this is going to seem real fucking, yeah, you're going to get really annoyed with it super quick. But <laughs> this is important to us because we have to make sure this looks like this. And But they were honestly, they were also great about it. Um, and I think as long as you're respectful, artists appreciate that collaboration yeah. and that, you know, back and forth. And so Keith honestly really makes sure that there's – there's a piece of, you know, his vision, my vision in all this stuff that, that, that comes out, all the, you know, the, the things that we consider to be super important that help express it. Because we both, like, one of the, the it's funny you talked about the quotes, but we both got in, like, Magic the Gathering around the, uh, like, when we were younger. And for me, it was definitely the art. And it was also, like, the flavor text they put at the bottom of the card. Because even yeah. though I knew nothing about this world, the flavor text, like, gave you a little piece of it, a little snippet of it. And it put a little heart and soul into these like, you know, pieces of cardboard. And yeah. Keith was the exact same way. It was the art. You know, when I first met him, he had like a binder of magic cards. He was doing nothing with except flipping through like it was an art book. So, yeah. the, you know, both of those things, we, we make sure are, they really express what we're trying to get across to people because for some people, that's going to be what grabs them. Um, you yeah. could have the best writing in the world, but if you don't have good art, some people are going to pass you up. Um, yeah. and it's sad and unfortunate, but it is the truth. People have, you know, we're very visual creatures and people have a lot going on. And if you can't catch their <laughs> attention quick, then you, you're not getting that attention. So the, yeah. we try to make sure that we get that right there in their face and say, you know, this is Mama Verdosa. This is, you know, Kira Shell. These are the people that you're going to be meeting and this is them to us. So Keith is yeah. instrumental in that because I apparently don't have the eye because I would have let a bunch of stuff go that he's like, oh gosh, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> What, what, what's really apparent is, and I, I think it probably speaks to, to your output as well of content, is that you guys seem to have a lot of processes that have been refined through, probably through years of trial and error and finding out what is most efficient and most productive and all of that. And, you know, that, that isn't something that you can, you know, that you can pass, that, that wisdom is, is, seems to be something that is mostly acquired through experience because everyone's process and everyone's content is different and everyone's you know situation is different as far as team members and skill sets and all of that 
And it just seems like you guys have really understood a process that maximizes your output, which you know, which is hugely impressive. Any any thoughts on that? Um, I think we're both incredibly chaotic people, so it was super important for us to find like a groove that we get into, so that we can make sure that we are putting out you know the supplements in a timely manner. And let I and I've said this before, I operate best when I know that you know I'm I'm under the gun. So. What really helped us definitely settle into that routine too was the culpability of being like, we have patrons waiting for us to put a supplement out and they're expecting the same quality that they got the last time this came out. They're expecting, you know, um, now it's not so difficult, but at the beginning, you know, it was like, I was constantly sweating because I was like, oh my gosh, I've got these people. And even when we had one patron, that one patron was waiting for me to get that supplement out, you know, and that was so important to me. Um, and we, we give the supplements away out for free and stuff. Um, and so I knew people would be reading those as well. Um, but knowing you have that one person paying you makes all the difference. And it really helped us settle into where it's like, okay, here's what we're going to be doing. Here's, you know, the steps that we have to get it to go. And because we are both so chaotic, it, you know, it's, a, it's always a struggle and it has been a struggle from the beginning. I'm not going to pretend like by any means we're like a well-oiled machine. Sometimes there are definitely bumps, but you know, we work very well together and we get it through at the end of the day. So we, we do have processes, but I, I can't imagine from the outside, they look nearly as smooth as the end result might, might pretend. <laughs> well, it just, I mean, it, it's a complete package, right? So you can, you've got, you've got the artwork, you've got the beautiful writing, you've got the layout, you know, it's been edited. It's, you know, it's, it's clearly a, a well thought out process that, you know, I'm sure you're bringing resources in like artists and, and, and other things as well for the, are you guys doing your own layouts? We do literally everything but the art because that's what okay. we can. And so it's it's just two of us, and we we have a, a budget, so we we take care of all the writing, we take care of all the the layout, the, the everything. We we take yeah. care of ourselves. So are you, do, um, are you doing the layout on in design, or are you doing it on like a home brewery or something like that? What where where do you do your layout on? Uh, we we have custom assets that we've had made, and then yeah. I use GM Binder, and. Oh, okay. Um, okay. GM Binder is great if you're if you're making fifth edition and um, if you can learn enough like HTML and CSS mm. to be able to add in your own stuff, you can make yeah. it look good and not like a like a like a stock you know D and D thing. Um, yeah. I've been really happy with GM Binder up to this point. Um, I'm in the process of learning Affinity um, mm -hmm. Publisher uh, because they don't charge a monthly fee and seem to be better than Adobe. People seem the community seem to be pretty happy with them. So I'm in the process of learning that. But uh, okay. GM Binder has been super great thus far. Amazing. Okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's. That's. I'm sure that will be. A, that will. That will be helpful for us and others. <laughs> yeah. Can I? Can I share with you one of your characters that I really, really love? Please do. But because I, I that... am a creator and very narcissistic, so I love to hear about my own stuff. <laughs> I. I just like when I saw the Junker Snail. I was just like, that yes. is fucking, <laughs> fucking brilliant. I love him so much. <laughs> And just the description as well, I thought it was just uh, so, so creative. Again, it was it was the fact, it was what you said earlier that you found like the heart of this this creature, this this thing. And what you did with it was go, cool, how can this be used in the world? I think the thing that we really loved was the, what materials can one harvest from this from this thing? And, you know, I, I think you did it with a couple of other, uh, a couple of other of the, uh, of the, of these like snail guys in this supplement as well. Yeah. But, this one really stood out to us. We just really loved the concept of like scraping off some of this, like this ooze, you know, and it like <laughs> makes a good adhesive and stuff. I think 
like like you said, you you make it tailored to the world, and it made it special. It made it special, so and it cool. stood out so much to us when we it saw so it, awesome. and we so absolutely much. loved it. And you probably you probably like know it when you when you it's kind of like bottling just that little bit of lightning when you catch one, right? And and they're they're kind of like children after a while, aren't they? They're just you know they kind of fit into the whole family, um, but you know, and and you're probably hitting different people with you know different elements of of the supplements but that one for me just like immediately i was like wow that is just the the level of creativity and then the follow-through of you know the other elements was super super interesting and, and uh, impressive that's awesome that makes me super happy the the we it's funny snails here's a little spoiler snails have been such a like almost like a, a i don't want to say a long-running gag because they're typically very serious situations we run into them but in our world throughout our campaign since like i met keith we'd run into these various snails and 90% of the time, they were just like ridiculous murder machines. Um, but every now and then, they'd be like, you know, a little like junker snail or something that you could buddy up with. Um, and the junker snail is my favorite in that supplement. Like, I absolutely love that goony little dude. He's the, he's the absolute fucking greatest. Um, so that's <laughs> like him too. Like, he's, he's great. We've had some great times in our games with, you know, the junker snails and like the people wrangling them around. And like, it's just, it's, yeah. So that makes me happy. Amazing. That's you know, it's, it, I was saying to Tom, and some, something that I really appreciate about what you guys do um, is your kind of like creature creation. So I was, I was telling Tom, in terms of my brain, how I like create and how I think and where a lot of my concepts come from, uh, I was like, I'm, I'm a lot more like, you know, like you, like you said, that political, like inner city, like, uh, like uh, espionage, like kind of thing and, and coming at it from uh, typically a humanoid like character perspective in a lot of cases. And for me, developing a creature is something that I struggle with because uh, I don't know why my, my mind works better for people and like that kind of thing than it does for um, creatures. Not in terms of, I, I could give a creature character, not a problem. The issue being is coming up with a snail that has junk attached to it <laughs> is, is, is something that, doesn't come easy to me so i think something else that we really appreciated about what you guys do is a, a level of creativity for me that is a little bit out of my realm at this point and is something that i want to bring more into my kind of wheelhouse and you guys inspire me with massively because your creations are both out there and really like like you said grounded centered realistic like not obscene in 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 weird cases even though a snail with junk on it is kind of obscene they're no, not yeah. obscene. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's a believable. No, yeah, yeah, like that's amazing. I appreciate it so much. But um, I, again, I'm, I'm going to – Keith has been the, the, like, forever GM in our house for so long, and he'll run it. He'll, he'll you know, rarely do we run into a creature that has ever been in a monster manual ever in our games. It's mm. typically – it's a concept that Keith's going to try out on us. And um, I – the, it's it, there's so much flavor in life and even when you run into like just the, the typical flora and fauna there's so much there in that idea and we, we we go back and forth with like you know just building this thing out until because for us the goal is okay it's a it's a snail with junk on it like that's okay that's cute it's a cute picture but you know why do i want my players to either love this thing or hate this thing like that's an mm. important part of it when you run into something you should have a response it doesn't have to be oh i'm afraid it's going to kill me it should, you know, sometimes it's, oh my gosh, I want to take this thing with me everywhere, or this is the grossest thing I've ever seen, or, you know, there needs to be a, a legitimate reaction that's based in, like, how a real person would react, because that's, that is how we approach it, like, 
it's it's everything's fantastical but there's that thread of realism that keeps you in in the moment in the game where you go you know if i have this thing and it, if something were to happen to it i would have a legitimate emotional reaction you know what i mean so every even the, the smallest little creatures that we make we try to make sure that that's that there's something there what reaction are we trying to inspire with it in the players at the table you know and and how do we get that across to people how do we make them value this and the balance i mean the balance that you guys you 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 attain with that is really nice it really is because they are they are fantastical but you can you can kind of see that little fella you know kind of <laughs> like in your in your you know in your world and it's it's super super cool we talked about keith a few times uh during this session and it'd be great to just get your thoughts or just share um with the with the larger community he seems like a really really dynamic creative powerhouse um and and certainly you know half of the the creative mm -hmm. engine behind the underground oracle just talk a little bit about you know his his strengths and what he brings to to the table and to the dnd world uh, he's he's just wildfire like it's it's so like it's amazing to me and it always has been i think there are I used to read when I was younger and stuff like different cultures and stuff would really appreciate like their storytellers like they were very big. And that isn't something that I think in American culture would have really in, in my culture anyway that we've ever really done. And so I didn't really have a huge I, I couldn't really grasp it. I'm like, well, oh, they tell stories. That's great, you know, but they tell stories. Um, and I met Keith and he to me is a true storyteller. Like he's one of those mm. people that um, you know, he was writing books in my mind anyway. And I don't, I don't, again, I guess take it with a grain of salt because I am incredibly biased, but he, he's someone like, you know, a Neil Gaiman or someone like that, where it's just yeah. you, these amazing creative storytellers that have yeah. this way of connecting to people through whatever the situation may be, whatever it is, that's, that is his skill and his talent. And, you know, the fact that we're able to get these out there and start sharing more of that, you know, makes me tremendously happy because in day-to-day -day life, it's not a thing that is, is able to be conveyed to people at all. So to be sitting on this amazing talent and no one know it to me was a waste. So the fact that we're doing this, you know, and it gets to leak outside of the Saturday games that we have is, I love it. But that's, to me, that's his major strength is that, you know, just being able to create things that I want to invest my time in that I want to invest my life in and he'll come up with a concept. And sometimes I'm like, there's no fucking way I can turn that into <laughs> something that's mechanically viable for fifth edition. I'm like, pull back. And as much as I love it, sometimes I am like, you need to fucking pull back. You're killing me. You're killing us. <laughs> and there's back and forth. And then we make it happen somehow because it, you know, we are able to, we're just complimentary to one another. And so he had, you know, so a lot of his super fantastical stuff, you know, is, is still waiting to be made, you know, into something that we can put outside of our games because we have, we, the mechanics have to complement it. And we don't want to, if you're going to take away from it and strip out what's making it magical as a, as a character in a story or as this part of a story, then there's no point in putting it out. So you know, we have this back and forth a lot, but so far we've been able to, to, to get those things out that, you know, I was, I am like, Oh, I'm going to the office. Give me a few hours. I need to think about this. And then I go <laughs> in there and I'm like, Oh, there's no fucking way. And I'm just beating my head against it. I'm like, Oh, well, you know, I find this whole thing, this whole thing. And then before I know it, you know, it's ready to go and it's fantastic. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, that's, 
it, again, it just, I, I could talk about keep ad nauseum for the rest of the fucking day. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let, let, let me ask this, obviously, you know, you, you talk of Keith in, in this light, especially with his, with his DMing and whatnot, does he have any interest in showing the world, like running a, an actual play game or, you know, doing anything like that, where, you know, we could, we could get a, a a flavor of what his his amazing DM style is like, or or anything like that. Has that ever gone through his mind? It briefly. Right now, we're running a game for to to play test an adventure module that we're thinking about coming mm. out with, um, and Keith's running that game for a group of uh, some of our champion tier patrons um, and a few of our friends from the from our Discord server. Um, and it, it's fun and everything, but, um, as far as like putting on an actual play or something, I think the, the major fear we have is that it's just, it's difficult to, when, when people know they're watched, it's so much different than when, you know, you're in a room by yourself. So it's hard to yeah. find players even that can give that, you know, give themselves to the story enough to feel comfortable enough to, you know, get the back and forth and the, you know, get the magic really rolling. So it's, it's been a thought but you know i think the the passion really more is in getting getting that into our supplements and getting those out to people so that they can play them in their games or in their actual plays yeah. that's that's probably i would say the the the, the big goal um mm -hmm. and just running games recreationally but he may change his mind he's a creature of, of wins so we'll see <laughs> <laughs> Dude, how does it feel having Michael Jordan in your house? Of like, <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, uh, it, is, it is. He's like the Michael Jordan of storytelling. Yeah, I know he's, he's going to watch this and he's going to be pissed at me. He's going to be like, no one's going to believe I'm that good. But, you know. know. <laughs> uh, no, we have, we actually, we actually, Keith, we actually have stuff that we can gauge it on. And actually, it's, yeah, there's, it's, ta there's tangible shit. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not an overreach at this point. It's, it's really not. So I, I wanted to ask as well, like you, you talked about like your guys' home sessions. Now, um, we, we run our like home session and it's in person. We have people come to the house and play. Um, I also play in a couple of sessions and I, I play on the internet because my, my DM is in South America and I'm in the UK. And so, you know, uh, like for you guys, do you mind doing it on the internet? Did COVID affect the way you guys play? Uh, do you play in person or is it over the internet for you guys always? What's your kind of setup for you guys? We do play in person now. Uh, there was obviously there was a, a big gap where we weren't playing. Um, yeah. But with our with our home game, everybody, most of the people that we play with in our home game, they're they're not big on VTTs. They're you know pen and paper people. Um, theater yeah. of the mind is how we always play anyway. And even when we're using a VTT, it's mostly theater of the mind. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, so our home game is in person, um, and it always has been. And there's you know there's there's a magic in gaming when you're like just a few feet away from someone that I think it's really yeah. hard to capture um, over the internet. But the, the, we have been playing, especially since we partnered with Shard, um, yeah. we've been playing and using them as a VTT and they're amazing. I mean, the, the, as a VTT, yeah. they're the only ones that I use and we do play our, our currently our weekly uh, playtest game with our patrons through Shard. And it's, it's the best VTT experience I've had. I still prefer in-person gaming because I always will again, because there's that, you know, there's that energy that gets passed back and forth. That's it's yeah. hard to do online, but we definitely do both. Yeah. 
that's do you know what, it's it's also uh, that's what we were saying as well isn't it? yeah that's the exact conclusion we came to we we started off actually because obviously we started doing this like six months eight months ago and um that was during this like covid pandemic that is an absolute you know cluster cast and so um we we started online <laughs> and then finally when in the uk when a lot of the restrictions lifted and um and you know people were able to test personally and things like that um we had our group come in and instantly the vibe was different instantly everyone was like much more on board like it it just changed everything almost instantly and it's it's one of those things where uh, the energy is palpable uh yeah. you know it's it's it, it, it's it's just it's right there and like like you said a natural 20 in front of people for some <laughs> reason it, like versus like on the internet is just a completely different experience like people go nuts when you succeed and you're in a room together as opposed to over the internet or you know what even I mean? like the, the little it's, it's to me it, because it's because i'm a forever player more than a gm but it's those hmm. those little moments that that tie all the yeah. scenes together it's those little moments between characters it's the little minutiae that to me those can most often be lightning in a bottle it's those interactions that you have with the different characters in the world and stuff and i think in person you get those so much more organically and you're able to really let those moments just hit you you know so something that maybe would be incidental if you weren't sitting across from the person suddenly becomes like a moment and i think that's to again to us the dnd is just like it's a, it's a story it's moments that we're we're all experiencing together and um I think doing that in person right across from each other is the, is the way to really grab those. Mm. Yeah, I, I think there's a, it's almost like there's a mixed message going on right now with, you know, anyone that is thinking about going virtual in, in their gameplay or even streaming, I, I think there's a confusion of what we're seeing, which is brilliant entertainment, right? Playing, using the vehicle of D&D. But those guys are, mm -hmm. you know, for the most part, they're professionals in their own right in entertaining with their voices and, and you know, characters yeah. and all of that. And so it isn't as realistic when we think about, okay, well, you know, can, can we capture the same magic that we're seeing them capture? We don't really consider that in their minds, they're playing D&D, but they're also entertaining for an audience. And it's, yeah. it's really a split thing. It's not, I don't think one takes a priority over the other. And if one does, it's the entertainment more than the gameplay, I would think. And if you're judging, if you're judging like your DM or your players or your table off of like, oh, why can't they be more like critical role? Or why, why aren't you like, you know, Brendan Mulligan, you know, like, wow, oh, like, come on, man. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's not realistic in of that, one they have budget that you can't even like <laughs> us, people, us people who are playing at home like dude the budget that they have is un unfathomable like it's it's a massive amount and they're they're able to one have like editing sound lights you know again you see some of them with crazy miniature like rigs like especially if you watch like the old acquisition incorporated live yes. ones that they do packs. <laughs> they've got like dioramas that are ridiculous and they come in costume that are ridiculous yeah. you're just like it, it, it gets it gets wild, and I think Tom's right in of that. There's 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 a big difference between a home game and a and what I would call a professional game. And by professional, I don't mean that they're better. I just mean that it's it's run professionally. It's yeah. like people walk into the studio and go, "I am acting now." It's yeah. not. I'm sat around the table with my homies 
drinking a beer, eating some Funyuns and having a <laughs> laugh. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, that's the thing. Yeah. And, and well, I, here's, here's I, 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 oh, well, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. To, to me, it's, it is, it is super different. Even when you listen to like some of our friends do podcasts, like, you know, Mark or the mm, guys that yeah. do like our podcast. Um, and they're amazing. Um, and mm. you listen to their, and it's like, you can hear in it that, you know, they're, they're professionals. They've been doing this for a while. There's, you know, I know the from afar guys like do some editing, things like that. Um, and you just, you can't expect y- your home games to, to, to be inner. You shouldn't be expecting your home game to be entertaining to another group of people because that's not, that's mm. not what it's for. It's, it's a, an experience for a small group of people to enjoy together as, as yeah. it's, fairly intimate i mean you're even when you are eating the funyuns and drinking the beer you know in the next moment you might be crying because your junker smell got killed <laughs> you know <laughs> you have to have that freedom to be able to do that and if you yeah. think that there's like this invisible audience watching you you can't do that unless you are a professional actor i know i can't i've been i've been role playing now since i was like 17 and so i'm very comfortable with pulling my characters out with our table of people that i've been role playing with for years but if you were to put me on one of these shows or in front of a camera or something, I would, it would be like I was an entirely different person because I'm not an actor. You know, I'm yeah. a player in my home game. That's, that's really what I like to do. And I think people's, yeah, the expectation shouldn't be, you know, I'm going to be this person or this is exactly what my game is going to be like. That's, that's not what it's meant to be. It's meant to be mm-hmm. for you to enjoy time with your friends. And you can't really expect it to be anything else. Yeah, and it's. I think there's the further complication is. Yeah, very much so. The the further I think um, challenge here is that technology is trying to is trying to create that mm. uh, that experience that you're seeing on you know on YouTube for us in our home games, and that you know trying to like VR some sort of like setting or some sort of you know feel, and I'm not sure how that's going to work because. You talked about this, the true. Yeah, you know, too much of that starts taking away the role of the DM. It starts making it a game, like like a video game. And uh, so, I'm. I mean, we've been talking about this a little bit. In any any form of conversation around that that you guys have in your in your uh, whether in your your home game or just between you and Keith. I mean, there's always like, there's the the dream, you know, VR experience or whatever. It's like, I look exactly like the character that I am in my head, you know, and I get to do all this cool stuff. But that, A, the, the, the technology that most of us have access to will will not be there for in mm. probably my lifetime. Um, but I, also, you do miss, I mean, there's just, you, again, it's a, it's a very, very human connection, I think, that makes the role-playing special. And you mm. need to be able to look each other in the eyes, in my opinion. You need to be able, whether that's on a computer screen or at your table, seeing the like the little, we pick up on stuff that we don't even know we're picking up on. And if you're really into your character, you're conveying things that you don't even realize that you're conveying to the people around the table. And that, mm. I, that can't really be mimicked by, you know, technology that's making you look like an elf or doing things like that, at least not at this point. So I think, yeah, I think all the, and it is, it is a lot of it is people are like they, companies are going to try to, you know, capitalize on people trying to be the next critical role or whatever, even in their home game or people's expectations of, you know, trying to have this like professional set up in their VTT game with, you know, their friends across the United States or across the world. But yeah, it's, it's just not, you're not going to get that. It's not going to, you're going to miss out on again, that, that 
lightning in a bottle, those little moments that you that you would have through just like the normal interactions that you have with people. So even though, you know, you don't look like an elf and a dwarf right now, if I want to, I can pretend you look like an elf and a dwarf. That's personally good enough for me. But, you know, mm. I guess everybody's mileage may vary on that one. Yeah. <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what's interesting is like, I, I, I guess I, I kind of stand on this point and I, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I would say the 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 closer we get to like and so uh, dimension 20 recently released a trailer for their new campaign that they're doing and uh, they've got this new like a uh, 3d virtual tabletop that they're using i know uh corridor digital uh who is another youtube entity is doing a a youtube uh, sorry a s- series called son of a dungeon where they're getting actually dressed up in character like like you said filming on a green screen after playing a game and recreating what happens in the game on a green screen and turning it into like a, a, a video, basically like a movie, uh, a mini series for you to watch. And something that I keep coming to is like, as we get closer to, you know, like uh, maps existing and players being able to see things for their own eyes, the role of the dungeon master becomes more of just the mechanical part of the game as you go and it's more just i'm here to tell you when to roll a perception check or you know when to you know roll initiative or when to you know to have advantage or disadvantage as opposed to because i'm not sure if you've experienced this but it's something that i've both done and experienced as as a game master and then as a player is there's times where when you're with a virtual tabletop you'll have it there in front of you and you'll maybe have a map loaded in or something like that and it might be something that when you're in the flow you know, DMs will forget to put in the level of description that they would because there's an, a map there. There's a visual yeah. representation. You know, you don't have to go, well, there's four walls. Uh, they're, they're about, you know, 30 feet, 30 feet in width and like 40 feet in, you know, length, you know, and, you know, the floor is cobbled and, you know, because there's a texture for cobbled floor and you can see where the walls are and you've got a ruler that tells you that it's 40 feet and 30 feet. Do you know what I mean? And so... Yeah. I feel like it lessens the, the, the point of the dungeon master and, and you're losing some of that magic that the dungeon master creates. I imagine for you, that would be, you know, having that, that lack of story from Keith would be an issue. Do you, do you fall into the same category, the same line of thought as me? Definitely. Um, and especially because like, again, NPC interactions, things like that are so important. I mean, they're, they're people in the world. They're um, everything is an element in the world that you're interacting with. And, and, at least from our perspective, it's the GM that is the one responsible for getting that across. And mm-hmm. it's so much more than rolling checks or, you know, yeah, yeah it's you, you have to have that level of involvement where to the, the, the game master doesn't feel tied to, you know, mm-hmm. what you're being limited to with your eyes, basically. And that's, yeah. that's where we're at with that. Like we use shard. It's an amazing BTT. And I would say what Keith primarily uses the, he, the map setting and stuff for is to show art to people. So yeah, when yeah. we walk into a room, there's a picture of a lively tavern room. But if we want to know what you know was in the room and things like that, we're still asking him, can you describe it out of the room? Let us know, you know what's here if for some reason we needed that. Otherwise, we know there's a party happening and we're in this tavern. That's what we know. Um, yeah. And that's just the way that we prefer to play because, again, it continues that, that connection and that communication between the game master and the rest of the people at the table. 
fully, fully agree with you. And you know, that's that's a great way to do it in terms of, I love, I love the idea of, um, and, and so many people fall into that trope of like, cool, I need like a, a layout map of like what this looks like. I love the idea of like a photo of a busy tavern and yeah. you're just like, cool, this is what's going on. Let's let's describe that. That's that's awesome. I, I really, really like that. Um, You know, it, it seems like not only do you both have your head screwed on very well, uh, but you, you are, you know, bringing content to the community with the right intentions for the right reasons and uh, all i can sit here and say is thank you for one being an inspiration to creators like us two thank you for providing us with content to use in our games and shit and am i excited to see what quasiloth <laughs> looks like feels like smells like you know it, you know when when you guys bring it out and 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 give us the the fully fleshed out version of that world but all i can say is i am both stunned a little bit gobsmacked uh in awe gobsmacked um, is english so what's the translation uh, uh jaw, jaw dropping yeah you know uh something along those lines <laughs> you know i i honestly am just perplexed and, and blown away by the consistency the commitment that you guys have to this and again from all the people who appreciate what you do, thank you from from us and from all the all your patrons, all those people. You know, we we love you guys for what you do and 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 what you bring to this community. So thank you so much for that. Um, as we kind of round this off, is there anything else that you want to quickly touch on before we kind of end off? Before I give you some time to to talk about some stuff coming up for you guys, is there anything else you want to touch on? Uh, no, nothing, nothing from my end. I've been having fun chatting it up with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Hey, it has been absolutely amazing. So I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Shout out, you know, your, your socials, what's coming out next for underground Oracle, um, and, and anything else that you want to, you want to shout out new cat or dog you may have got, I don't know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> uh, we're at your publishing on Twitter and we have a link tree there where you can find our, our Patreon, our website, everything. Also keeping my Twitter handles are right there as well. Um, we have, you know, the first and third Friday of every month, we release new supplements. Then we also do monthly map packs. Uh, we have this Friday, our, it's something that I've been really excited about. It's been a nerdy obsession of mine for so fucking long, but, <laughs> um, we have, uh, something, uh, a, a barbarian that comes out and they use tattoos basically to empower themselves. So path of the skin scribe will be coming out on Friday. Uh, <laughs> And then at the end of the month, we'll have a supplement that introduces a new uh, game option called uh, Jinxes, basically, um, and a couple of little malicious creatures that give them to you. So they're kind of like tiny curses or like the opposite of charms, I guess, if you really want to simplify it. So we'll have a shit ton of those and some little creatures to throw them your way. Um, next month, we have a new edition of the Cantor Cantina coming out. That is like fae themed to fit with, you know, the witch light stuff that's going to be hitting. Um, yeah. And at the end of the month, we have a new extraordinary location. It's a really great city that we're excited to show off uh, called Bristol Glen. And uh, it's a, a, an entire city of smugglers um, that they've built the entire city around their smuggling operation. So there's like a map of the city, which is just lovely and lush. And then there's like the underground where they're like shuttling contraband back and forth. Um, and uh, Mama Bardosa has a presence in that city as well. So that ties into the bathhouse again. Um, down the line, we are hoping to launch our first Kickstarter as well very soon. So that, you know, look out in the next few months for some more information on that. Wow. But lots of exciting things happening. We're trying to really 
build as much momentum as possible and just keep keep steaming ahead. I, I think you guys got a lot of free time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, they're hours. They're sat, they're sat watching Netflix and playing Mario Kart all the time. Hey, I got a question for you. <laughs> um, Bristol Glen, we yeah. live in Bristol, England, and it is a, it is a known for a sort of a smuggler. It, its history is around smuggling, and it has the underground sort of pathways. And it, is that something that you guys have based the name on? We took inspiration from that, yes, a few amazing. years ago. Amazing. Absolutely. And we were like, what if this was this amazing fantasy location where, you know, these people got together, these, these the, 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 the origins are slightly different because really it's more like wealthy individuals trying to get ahead of the king that's taxing the shit out of them. But what if we built this like a lavish city where everybody, you know, the quality of life is magnificent, but everybody just happens to be kind of in on the smuggling operation. So, but yeah, we did take inspiration from that. Absolutely. So cool. That's, that's awesome. Do you know what? Uh, I'm sat here, dude, I am so excited for barbarians <laughs> and tattoos. That is, I, I, oh, as you can see. That's I, the other thing too. I'll throw this quick plug out there. Our, our Patreon is pretty cheap um, for people that don't know. I know we release a lot of stuff. But um, it's $3 per month to get you like our last quarter of supplements plus all the stuff that's coming out. And then at $6 per month, you get our entire a year of our back catalog in PDF form. Plus you get everything that we have ever created available on Shard Virtual Tabletop. So if you're a Shard player, you unlock our entire catalog on Shard. Otherwise you get an entire year of PDFs in the backlog. Amazing. And then also, you know, lots of, lots of cool exclusive things that we release like uh, tokens and things for people to use so that's so huge bargain yeah hell yeah hell to the yes <laughs> um well do you know what uh, just it's been such an honor to speak to you and to to be able to pick your mind get into some of your process um we will 100 percent love to have you back on but uh this has been homie and the dude the father and son podcast um for us hit us with the holy trinity guys like and follow on facebook subscribe on youtube and uh, follow us on Twitter as well. It's where we're most active. It's where you can find out what we're up to next. But this has been uh, an awesome show. Thank you so, so much, Jess. Thank Thanks, you, Jess. Amazing. We're chugging through. We're loving doing this stuff, you guys. Um, if you want to support us, if you want to make sure that we can keep getting, you know, better quality set, better quality lights, make the filming better. Bigger, um, bigger batteries for the camera. Bigger batteries for the camera. <laughs> yes. You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you can do that by just liking, following the page, and subscribing to the YouTube channel. That is what really makes a difference to us.